Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. The summer's coming. People are going to start to talk a lot about their bodies and weight loss and calorie counting. So we're going to start the talk of how to really have some body esteem and feel really secure in our bodies. Um, working on that body positivity or neutrality. We'll be talking about that later in the show, as well as talking about shame. And uh, we're going to be talking about also how to deal with family bullies. Something we have to talk a lot often around the holidays. You know, that's when we really see a lot of our family members and whatnot. But um, as I said last night, I want to spend this week opening each show just talking a little bit about self-care and mental health. Things you might have heard before, there are gentle, loving reminders. I, I want to keep building that in, reminding people to do these things. Not everyone hears every show, and repetition helps keep our paradigms on point. Um, so I'm going to try to change it up each week. So this might not be relevant to everyone, but I think that there's something in all of this for us all to walk away with. Um, ways to build in self-care. These are really quick, simple, easy things, and that's what I think I love about it. Reading. Just set aside maybe only 15 minutes. It doesn't need to be chapters or a whole book. 15 minutes. I set aside 30 every day at least to read. I read things that, much like the way I use music, are kind of therapeutic. Maybe you want to read something that helps you check out and dissociate, right? You're, you're not aware of what's happening around you. Maybe you want to read something that's really inspiring and uplifts you. Maybe you want to read something that challenges the way you see the world. Maybe you want to read something spiritual to start to really connect to a higher power or a more universal consciousness. Maybe you want to read something that's going to make you sad and really elicit some of that heaviness and the beauty of, of tears and crying, right? But reading is a really great way to immerse yourself in a different consciousness. It's even translocational, transgeographic, meaning it takes us away from where we're currently even located. We lose all time and space, connection with time, place, and space. It's beautiful. It's why I love reading, right? I can feel my little brain expanding. So I think reading is really powerful. Any type of reading, maybe you do it in the middle of the day, maybe you do it in the morning, start your day that way. Maybe you wind down. I don't care if it's a blog, maybe it's you know, magazines, maybe it's a book, but just taking that time, totally doable. Also, here's another good one, just going outside. I try to start my mornings by going outside, having the sun hit my face. It wakes me up, fresh air, seeing other people. It's one of the first things I do in the morning is go outside for a walk. It's so healing, it's grounding, right? And what we do in the beginning of our day can set the tone or the frame in which the rest of the day occurs. Let's start it off as grounded as possible. Calling a friend. I used to think it was strange to call or text a friend in the morning. Now I have a couple of friends that I'll reach out to before I start my clinical day or even between seeing patients. I'll just give them a quick call, check in on them. Another way to like stay connected, to improve my mood, right? Or maybe to unpack something and process something. But like I, I realized I had to kind of flip the script, queer the normality of it. Usually we call our friends like later in the evening. But I know my friend's schedule, so I know the ones that are available in the morning and I'll give one of three a call and be like, hey, what's going on? We talk about the day before. We talk about what's going on already in our day. It's a really cool thing. Um, I love this one as well, coloring. Look, there's adult coloring books, but you know what, they're all the same. You can draw something to color. You can go get a coloring book, markers, crayons, painting. It's soothing. It doesn't have to be pretty. You don't have to be an artist. It's just the act of repetition. It's the act of just move, moving. It's the act of having no actual goal. It's getting lost. It's a form of play. Adults have lost a connection to play. Play is a really important state. It's a psychological state. It's a physical state. At some point, I'll have to remember to kind of 
do a segment talking about what occurs in play and why it's important for adults, but it's very much socialized out of us. And we're starting to perform adulthood. We perform our roles parent. We perform our roles professional. And we think that maturity means moving away from some of the more important psychological mechanisms. Listening to music, I can't say enough about that. Again, that came from working at a radio station, but also my friend Nicole Alvarez, who hosts over at K-Rock, reminding me how powerful that is. Choosing music that you enjoy, choosing music that energizes you, choosing music that relaxes you, choosing music that inspires you, right? I really tailor it. I take time to focus on it. I, I really let the music move through me. So I, I pay attention. I think that's the important part. Unconsciously, it'll still happen and matter, but I bring consciousness to it. What are the lyrics? What is the musician or band trying to uh, communicate to me? How do I feel with that music moving through my body? Powerful stuff. Taking a nap. Can't get enough sleep. Well, you're not getting enough sleep. Maybe you need it throughout the day. But napping is so, so regenerative, so regenerative. It's grounding, right? It sets us up to better deal with our day. It's time away. It also can be very, very creative for some people, right? Um, it's the small things. Like, are you hearing that in this? It's the, it's the very little basic things. It's not these big, profound, expensive, over-the-top acts. And that's what I love about self-care and mental health is it's the things that we often don't put enough value upon, right, or take seriously. And those can often matter the most. It's kind of like nutrition. I hear everyone talk about macros, macros, macros. And it's like, yeah, protein and carbs and all that's important to talk about, but that's not health. Health is related to the things we don't talk about. Sodium levels, sugar levels, cholesterol levels, saturated fat. It's the micros. And mental health is often that way as well. It's not the major stuff. It's often in the details. It's in the small pieces. Don't worry, we'll keep talking about it. Coming up next, we're gonna talk about how to deal with a family bully. It feels a little hard just to even say that, right? It almost sounds like those two things can't coexist, but sadly for many, they do. You might actually be the bully. That's a healthy thing to recognize. Then take a little break. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back and we're talking about family bullies. Oh, man. How about don't be one? <laughs> like, we're going to talk mainly about how to protect yourself from family bullies, but speaking to all the bullies, listen, mental health, how does what I say or do impact those around me? If you're in a position of power within a family, usually you're the one who's most apt to be a bully because you can be. <clears throat> so ask yourself, am I a bully? Could I be seen as one? Uh, do I make people feel uncomfortable or, you know, do I honor people's boundaries when they come around, when they visit? Uh, interesting Viktor Frankl quote. I hope you all are fans of his work, uh, Logotherapy. It's really interesting stuff. It's basically about making meaning as a way to get through difficulties. And he says, when we can no longer change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Basically, what it means is, yes, yeah, this bully's not going to grow up or change. So what you do is you start changing the way you are around them, if you're even around them, right? Uh, family members can be some of the most difficult ones because they're often given a pass. Well, that's just how your aunt is or how your grandmother is. That is the family of origin, the family of sis, the family system actually being on the side of the perpetrator. That's exactly what that is. They are uh, separating out from the victim. Instead of saying, let's, let's all stand up to or let's one of us sit down and talk to this problematic bully in the family, everyone accommodates. Because usually that's what happens in family systems. We'll do whatever we need to do to keep things in balance. And balance doesn't mean mental health. Balance means business as usual, right? And the person who starts to set boundaries and take care of themselves or stands up to the bully is often identified as 
the patient. They become the one that they think is the problem. If you would just let it go or let them be or they're so old, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're putting our mental health first, right? We're not just participating with things that are bad for us, right? Um, <clears throat> not okay at all. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of that now. We're talking a lot more about boundaries. We're seeing people set boundaries. Um, it's really, really important. Our mental health comes before everything else it has to. And Naomi Osaka, she's quitting the French Open because they're, you know, they're saying you have to do interviews even though it's harmful to your mental health and your mental health needs some time and space away from that. And she's like, well, then peace out. I'm out. And I agree with her. It's an interview. Her mental health means more. Sorry, your mental health means more than your job or an interview or finances or whatever it is. You have to. You have to prioritize that. And the French Open is upset that they can't make all the money they want to make off of her or the recognition or the rules. But it's like people come first. Institutions and systems have to change themselves to meet the needs of people. So I'm glad she's saying things are different now. People used to not prioritize their mental health. Not everyone is in a place mentally to be able to handle or do interviews. 100%. Not everyone can speak publicly or wants to. Some people, that has, that's creates social anxiety. She said she battles depression. For an organization to say, we don't care. We're going to put the standards and rules and norms before the needs of an individual and their mental health. That's gross. Time to change. Absolutely time to change. So I'm proud of her. Uh, the first thing is know ahead of time what you might say or do. We talked about that with the holidays. We'll talk about it again. What to do if you're going home and someone's a problematic drinker or you're sober or someone's a fat shamer or a racist. Um, know ahead of time how you'll handle certain family members. It can make us feel more empowered walking into a situation where we know there's a bully if we know how we're going to handle it. So plan responses ahead of time, right? Uh, know what you might say. Practice. Also, um, I don't, I'm not about confronting someone because that, that uh, always sounds like aggression and anger. Um, and we all, we all know now that a soft startup is how we best best, not perfectly, but can best hope to keep it soft. We know that something like 75% of conversations, if they're started off soft, they end soft. If they're started off in a harsh tone from the door, they stay harsh, right? Because the person tends to meet you where you're at. Um, so stand up to them, but lovingly, you know what I mean? You can say, Hey, I'm going to stop you. What you're saying is not okay. Or I'm going to stop you. Or I'm going to, I'm going to walk away from this conversation now. That's what you know, standing up sounds like, or, hey, um, that actually is a very racist comment. I'm really uncomfortable with that kind of talk. I'm going to ask you not to talk that way around me. Or, hey, I'm going to ask you not to talk about my body shape and size. That's not something I'm consenting to, right? So we're practicing. We're standing up. Sometimes you just got to remove yourself. Like, hey, if you're going to talk to me like that, I'm going to leave. Or if you're going to continue to talk to me like that, I'm going to leave the table. Or I'm not going to come back next year, right? Setting boundaries takes practice. Setting boundaries are hard. We can even do it ahead of time with other family members. Hey, uh, this is how this tends to go every year. Or this is what this person tends to bring up, or this is what this person tends to want to talk about. Just want to let you all know that this year I'm going to ask them to stop. I could use your support, right? Um, and sometimes you have to just divorce the person. And that's hard when it's a family member. I know that we're led to believe that we should be ride or die family members, but not if they're toxic for us, not if they're abusive. I'm constantly, as my job, helping people leave abusive and toxic relationships of all kinds, jobs, family members, loved ones, marriages, children, friends, everywhere. No one, no one gets a pass. It's no longer acceptable for anyone to be a bully or bad for someone's mental health. I'm so glad we're calling it out. I posted a meme a while back that, you know, millennials and Gen Z aren't lazy. They have boundaries. They stand up for themselves. They won't be taken advantage. They're asking for the kind of pay they deserve. They're asking for health insurance. They're asking for their family members to call them by their pronoun and to honor their boyfriend or girlfriend if they're gay or whatever. They're like, we're, we're shutting down the racist uncle. We're not letting our aunt get wasted anymore around us. We're not letting our best friend call us fat. Like we're putting our mental health first before people in relationships. And unfortunately it's really harsh for some people, but that's kind of what we have to do to kind of flip that. Cause traditionally we were just trying to be polite. You know what I mean? Or just letting Uncle Harry say what he says because he doesn't know any better. Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. You know what I mean? We can't. We can't. Mental health is on the rise. Addiction's on the rise. We're not We're not rolling like that anymore. You know what I mean? We're holding people accountable. We're not carrying other people's shame. If someone else says the racist comment, we're not going to stay silent so they don't have to encounter and deal with their racism. We're letting them deal with it. We're calling it out and then we're walking away. Hey, that's fat phobic. I'm not going to stay silent for your fat phobic comfort. I'm going to call it out and let you sit there and work through that, right? We're calling them in as best we can privately, lovingly, calmly, but we have to speak truth to power. And sometimes that does mean a good call out, you know? We don't always have any other way of accessing these things.
It's important stuff though. I'm going to keep talking about boundaries endlessly because it's something that's really hard for us. In our culture, we don't, we don't actually value them at all. And we'll try to create situations where we think it's okay. Not now, not here, just not with that person. Another time. It's like, what? Mental health doesn't work like that. All right, stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris. Love Line is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be back. All right, we're back and we're talking about what to expect if you're someone who's uh, changed your relationship to alcohol, removed it from your life, maybe you've gotten sober, maybe you're Cali sober, which means you don't do alcohol, but you'll smoke weed sometimes. I totally respect that. That's what some people are doing because just because alcohol isn't something that makes sense in your life or maybe just because you have an issue with alcohol doesn't mean you can't necessarily engage in other um, substances that are mood altering or add to fun. We're not knocking alcohol completely, although we do recognize that it's you know, part of, um, well, we'll get into that another day, but I just know that violence, domestic violence is often paired to alcohol use. We know about drunk driving. So we do want to get a little bit better about how we engage it, uh, culturally, but, uh, we're just acknowledging that there'll be a friend lost or a friend shift, getting closer to some drifting for others, uh, as people, you know, really show how meaningful and important alcohol is in their lives. I lost friends when I stopped drinking because I realized that some of my friends, that's really all they knew how to do socially. It was always about going to a bar and drinking. And when you don't want to do that, they don't really want to miss out on that. And they're not willing to uh, step away from that to do something else. <laughs> and also talk about how early dating, it was shocking to see how some people didn't understand how fun could exist without alcohol being involved. Um, anyway, pushing forward, you'll also start to realize that maybe you're more introverted than you thought you were. I used to label myself as highly social, but yeah, it was driven by alcohol. And now that I don't drink, I realize that I'm more thoughtful about who I spend time around how long I spend time around and in certain places and even the places I'll go. I don't go to things that aren't going to be fun. I don't spend time around unfun people. I realize that sometimes I drank to make somewhere I wasn't really meant to be acceptable or a place that just wasn't fun. I had to force it to be fun. Now I just don't go or I leave or I change the way I'm showing up, right? Um, it's honest. It's more honest. I, that's what I think comes out of it. And you become more introverted, or not, that's the thing. Like there's so many people that don't drink or drinking isn't as important. And there's, and if you do the sober route, there's a huge recovery community and all these people are still living in the world fully and traveling and having parties and doing things. And even if you still wanna to go to bars, there's a lot of people that go to bars and don't drink or they go to bars that are and they're sober or they bring someone or they drink a seltzer. I mean, there's so many ways to operate in this world. But for me, it makes more sense. I'm not a night person. I like getting up early. All the things I like to do actually don't really involve alcohol. Alcohol gets in the way. I was tired of hangovers. I was tired of bad decision-making, you know, create a lot of problems. And, you know, I prefer my life the way it is now. Um, so you might be more introverted than you thought. Socialization starts to really change the things you're willing to do, the places you're willing to go. Um, and then of course it comes down to what are you going to tell people? That's right. Because people will often make a big deal about it. Not everyone will understand. Not everyone even needs to understand. And you get to decide your explanation or even if you explain it at all. Sometimes you just say, I don't drink and you don't get into it any deeper. Other people, maybe add a little bit more to it. Yeah, it made my life complicated. You know, it's up to you. People have to earn their way into learning about the more vulnerable, private, personal parts of ourselves. We don't have to bring someone right in, right? We get to say, I'm not comfortable saying more, or let's talk about it another time, or I don't really want to open it up in this, you know, in this space where I don't know everyone that's present, you know? Hold on to that. And again, let your friends know that it's really something that's important to you because people will still maybe offer. Not everyone understands what it means when you say you don't drink. And sometimes they'll say something, well, just have a wine cooler, just have a beer. And you're like, no, I don't drink. Because <laughs> they can't always fathom that. And it's been really important for a lot of people I'm working with that are getting sober or changing their relationship to alcohol to have something in their hand, right? They blend in, they feel part of, and they're also used to holding something and drinking something. Get water, get seltzer, get a juice, get a mocktail. You know, a cocktail that's made the same way, but without the alcohol, right? Just so you feel like you're participating, you know, maybe get a Red Bull. Um, I usually tend to drink water, actually, you know, and it makes me feel better. I put some lemon or lime in there. It looks like a cocktail, but I actually leave feeling better and more hydrated. I like the conversations I'm having. It's changed the quality of people I'm spending time around, you know? And yes, yes, you will learn to have sex and intimacy while sober. It's scary at first, but again, like everything else, it gets easier and it'll change the kind of people and the ways you're relating to people. Um, but it'll it'll change the way dating happens. If, 
you know, a lot of people, especially in certain age brackets, fun or a date for them is grabbing a drink or going to dinner and having drinks or whatever it might be. And it'll start to kind of shift, but you'll really learn who really wants to get to know you and spend time with you because they won't mind going to the movies, going to a gallery, a museum, the beach, hiking for a walk, um, playing sports, going shopping, just going to a dinner without alcohol. They'll be present and able and willing to do all of that. You know, and you have a right to set a boundary around people's use of alcohol around you. You decide your comfort, but I'm not one of those people who wants to be around people that are getting drunk when I'm not drinking. Someone wants to have a cocktail or two, I'm totally cool for that. But when I'm not able to relate to them and they've started to get intoxicated, that's when I know it's time to go. Or I talk about and call that out ahead of time so that no one's uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Because this is supposed to be something that's you know, meaningful makes sense to you. But again, I think the most important point is to know that it will change your life. It will change your social world and you have to give it time. You can't pull the trigger, stop drinking, change your relationship to alcohol, and then just think that within a couple weeks or months, you're going to find your place in your space and the right people. It can take a year or more. Hang in there. It's worth it. It's, it's a little bit of a journey for some in the beginning, but that doesn't mean it's not working. Some people get into 12-step programs, right? And that can give them a sober world. And other people, it's not about addiction or they don't like using the word alcoholic. And for them, they just, quote, unquote, don't drink. And um, they, you know, it orients things. But, you know, try it. If you're curious about it or think you need it, try it. It's going to make your life better. I don't know anyone whose life was made worse by not drinking. I'm sure there's a few examples out there, but I'm not familiar with them. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, now it's time to glide into the DMs, brought to you by Astroglide. Gliding into the DMs. DMs come from our Love Line IG page. Drop your questions in the DMs. Always anonymous, always confidential. Hey, unless you plug your name in there, and then we're happy to give you a shout out. Truly, um, and I like it when you guys circle back sometimes. Give me a little bit of a follow-up. I feel like I'm on some of your journeys. I get a little bit invested. These questions are meaningful and that I'm always like, I wonder how that went. Uh, so circle back and let us know. But whatever you're wondering about or struggling with, put it in there. I'll do my best. It's not always easy. It's not always simple. Um, but people learn as you learn, you know? And so I like your questions because it helps other people kind of learn a few things. Feel free to drop in there if there's something you just want me to talk about topically as well. It doesn't always have to be a question. It could be like, hey, can you clarify? Can you confirm? Can you explain? Can you tell me if I was right or wrong? in this situation. I think a lot of meaning and value can come out of that. So anyway, you do what you need to do in those DMs. Just be kind and consensual because uh, producer Alex has to uh, has to deal with and see whatever it is y'all plug in there. So anyway, here we go. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, in the past, I have, I have used going out with friends as my outlet and my escape. Join the club, right? We're all kind of like, yo, remember those times when you could call a friend and just go grab a drink, go for a walk, get coffee, go get food, go dance? Yeah, remember? Um, since the pandemic shut everything down, which slowly that stuff's opening up depending on where you live. I'm talking to you, Canada. Y'all need to step it up. Uh, my, I'm in a relationship with someone in Canada and I can't even tell you what that's been like. Tons of love, so worth it, but my God, difficult. Come on, Canada. Come on, Trudeau. Um, anyway, back to the question. Since the pandemic shut everything down, I haven't really been able to find another outlet. I've tried working out, investing in television shows and movies, trying to travel and do new things, but nothing's really filling my void. I think that void is because you need some music, some dancing, some, some hot bodies bumping into you, right? However, <laughs> now this is all making me think that maybe I was going out too much and it was becoming unhealthy. How can I really find out what I need? I'd love this question. I really do. I, I think I like vague questions the most sometimes. Um, a thousand ideas, right? Number one, sometimes it's not the people, places, or things. Sometimes it's what they created for us or in us, right? Or what they allowed us to do. And I know that some people love going out because they can let loose. They can let their guard down. They can just dance and scream and flirt, right? So number one, you can still do that at home. I can't tell you how often. Um, every night almost. I put on my earphones, right? Um, blast my music and dance around like no one's watching, even though sometimes there are people watching. And that's been soothing for me. And I've, I keep referencing her, but Nicole Alvarez from K-Rock, she posts videos of her doing that on her IG, good friend of mine. And she's one of those people who really directed me towards that. Like, oh my God, she's like, put on the music, turn down the lights and just dance. And I can't even tell you how embodying that was. And for someone who's, um, I, I, I identify as male, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because for people that are male identified or men, uh, 
we we struggle to be in our bodies. Uh, dancing is very liberatory and revolutionary because a lot of us are very stiff. We don't move our hips around. So there's something really healing and connecting in that. But bigger than that, back to your question, you were saying, maybe I was going out too much. That's a tough one to answer. I'll give you the, the really out-of-pocket answer, which is just, was it having a negative impact on you? And if not, then you weren't. You know, it's like a, yesterday, someone was asking about using porn as um, a form of coping. It's like, yeah, that's okay. That's not gonna necessarily have any negative outcomes. It's okay to do things that might not be standard, traditional, or normative. That doesn't mean they're bad or wrong. Going out is a really amazing, powerful experience for some people. They're connecting to community. They're stepping outside their traditional roles and identities of you know, mom or dad or whatever their career choices. And we need those moments where we're play, where we're stepping into play. Going to dancing, going out is a form of play for adults. That's all we allow ourselves. We're laughing, we're not thinking, we're moving our bodies. Don't, don't stress so much. You're allowed to have fun. You're allowed to in, lean into joy and pleasure. Let me say it like this. How many hours in a traditional week are you spent working? Okay, how many hours were you at the clubs? 10? 10 compared to 40 hour work week? Well, it looks like your life is out of balance and you're working too much and you need to do the opposite. No one ever says, am I, wor you know, am I working too much? I work 40 hours a week. My answer would be like, yeah, that's way too much. No one should be working 40 hours a week ever. Right? So let's not shame play. Let's not shame pleasure. Let's not shame joy. That's what our life should be about. Our life should not be about work and career. It shouldn't. It should be about joy, pleasure, and fun. That's mental health. It gives us purpose and meaning. So be kinder on yourself, you know? Um, all right, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about body shame. So stick around and join us. See you soon. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back and uh, summer's here. So we're going to be talking as much as possible in the next coming weeks about body neutrality, body positivity, because this is what comes into my office. It comes into my DMs, something we're seeing everywhere. Um, let's talk about shame for a second, because that's really what we're going to be talking about is shame, body shame. And then also later in the show, talk about the antidote to shame. Um you know, remember, we, we, we think, how do I want to say this? Our, let's, talk, let's just talk about our general self-worth and self-esteem for a second. It's global, and it's an open system. We are not closed systems. And what I mean by that is um, we're an open system which says that we're constantly taking things in from everything around us, right? Walking down the street, the ads you see, the people you see, the messages you hear, that's, that's all internalized and it's con you're constantly being fed what your goals should be, what, what attractiveness looks like, um, how to be straight, how to perform masculinity or femininity and our whole lives for most of us, unfortunately, because this is actually a very sad thing, is never about deciding who you want to be and pushing back. Most of our lives is, are just managing all these expectations, fitting in, not fitting in. It's the rare person, it's the work that comes, that shows up a lot in psychotherapy where someone says, I'm not participating in that or I'm not cooperating with that and I want to decide what makes sense for me. It's the rare person because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to step outside of that, to undo that. It's a lot of work to decide for yourself who you want to be, how you want to see yourself and to fully embody and lead with that. It's very, very, very hard. But know that our self-worth and our self-esteem can't be broken apart and compartmentalized. We, we often tie it to things like our jobs and money and our productivity and our body shape or size and all of that has a place. Um, but it's also, there's like an internal piece, right? How much do we align with what we're expected to align with? Um, but we're going to lean more into the body piece. You know, our body steam is our sense of desirability. How desirable do we feel to ourselves and to other people? Even if you're married, even if you're single and happily single, even if you're asexual or aromantic, your sense of desirability still matters in the context of socialization, in going on a job interview, walking through a restaurant. A lot of us are noticed. We notice who notices us. We notice who doesn't notice notice us. We so often want to be noticed. We will dress up, right? We are performing desirability when we put makeup on, comb our hair, go to the gym, put on deodorant, iron our clothing. Like that is us performing desirability. We want to be seen as maybe not attractive, although I do believe that's how most of us want to be seen, but we at least want to be seen at our best, or we at least want to be seen as what? 
uh, competent, successful, mentally healthy, whatever the words are that makes you maybe wear something without stains or, you know, putting on deodorant, like I said, is we want to be presentable, but that's still tied to body shame, wanting to feel desirable. There's also this concept that is horrible and it's very much rooted in a lot of body shaming and, and racism and toxic masculinity, but this concept of, and I've talked about this on the show before, market value. Based on culture, all the subcultures are part of larger culture, excuse me, that creates the limits on how erotic we might see ourselves, what we see as erotic in others, um, what we'll allow for ourselves, what we won't allow. Our body esteem's tied up in all of that, right? Are we performing our gender correctly is tied in our body esteem, right? Are we participating or are we performing our age group appropriately? And that's an even harder one because as you age, you're not allowed to just step into your age bracket. You're supposed to be looking great for your age or battling aging, right? We're never allowed to just be where ourselves are at. We always need to be improving. And that's where we talk about toxic self-improvement culture. You know what I mean? You're supposed to be dyeing your hair, right? And wearing the right makeup for the season, wearing clothing that fits your body shape or size. Like there's so many pieces that are cultural norms and values that speak to our market value and our desirability and how acceptable we feel in the world. And that's just to go, you know, run errands, right? No one's running errands with their hair messed up, with food on their face, without deodorant on, with a shirt with holes and stains. And if you do, because you realize my worth as a person isn't tied to any of those things, you're still going to get looks for other people. So you still have to deal with other people's shame around that projected onto you. We're always swimming in this cultural shame. Are we performing what we're supposed to perform? Are you, are you being a good mom? Are you being a good wife? Are you being a good man? Are you, being, are you performing heterosexuality correctly? Like always in this game. And so body shame becomes how these larger systems train us to feel about ourself, our desirability, our market value, us as a parent, us as a boy, us as a black person or a white person or a cis male or trans male. It, it's never ending and it's exhausting, but we carry that in us because our, our culture, the world teaches us about our body and our beauty and our value. We do have some say over that though. We do get to decide the messages we hear, the conversations we participate in, how we let people talk to us, how we present ourselves, but to an extent, because people will comment on it. Or when you go to the office, they want you to dress professionalism, which means white cis hetero, right? Like we're always forced into, um, teachers are penalized for wearing a bikini and posting it on their IG because you're supposed to always be performing teacher even when you're off the clock. Like, are you kidding me? We're never allowed to be ourselves. If you're a doctor or a teacher or a parent or a professional or whatever it is, you're never allowed to step outside of that identity. That's not even a real identity, right? But we give up our truth in service of performing what we're supposed to perform. We gotta take a break. Um, when we come back though, we're gonna keep breaking down all this uh, all this shame that we carry. You listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris. Love Line is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be back. All right, we're back and we're just talking about all the shame, all the body shame that we're carrying around and the summer's coming and I want us to, again, we were talking about this on last night's show, critically analyzing why we're doing what we're doing, why we believe what we believe, where did we get that from? So ask yourself, why are you wearing what you're wearing? Who are you doing it for? When you get, you know, I see people at the gym, uh, one of the rare places where you think culturally you're allowed to be a hot mess and all sweaty and messy and people are wearing their makeup, put together, wearing cologne, wearing their little cute out. And it's like, why? And again, I'm not shaming that, but like ask yourself why, who are you doing that for? To feel okay in the world, to feel attractive to others, to feel like a, a good professional, you're supposed to always look professional. Like what, what is that about? Who's that for? It's really interesting and I track all of that. And I even challenge myself to care less and to care less. Um, to cooperate only to the extent that I feel comfortable cooperating with him. But that's the punk rock in me. Like that was my world in high school. We were always pushing back. We were always counterculture. You know what I mean? I've never valued the norms and values of our you know, capitalist culture. But we have to ask ourselves that because our culture teaches us often that our beauty lies in our, val in our value. But if, culture says that your value is your body or what you produce. And neither one of those things is actually true. That's not where your value should come in, right? But our body image, because of how we're socialized, is, is for most of us at the core of our self-image. For most of us, our self-image is really tied to our body image. Isn't that fascinating? Our body is, is just this vehicle that we use to get around the world. So it's important because it helps us move through the world, but it shouldn't be a, a site of achievement or what we think our worth is tied to. It's the most irrelevant thing in the world. It really has very little to do with anything, right? 
Um, but we're relational beings. And so we do care about others. We do care about the thoughts and others around us. Um, body shame is fascinating. Though. I mean, even from the youngest ages, even through adulthood, we're always told to sit still. We prioritize stillness as opposed to saying, move your body, let your body naturally follow its energy. You have a lot of energy, say to a student, go walk up and down the hallways, go run around the school. Nope, we train them to ignore their body signals, to sit still, that's shaming the body's natural rhythms and energies. You know, even in sex, people are withholding. They're not making the sounds they want to make. They're not letting their bodies do what they want to do. We're always shaming and withholding our body. Oh, I shouldn't burp. Oh, I shouldn't sit like that. I need to sit up. Oh, I'm moving around too much. Like what? We're always, always shaming our bodies. Always. It's fascinating. I, I move through the day just watching all the times that we shame ourselves or we shame others. I see parents doing it to children right? I see people doing it in different classes. It's wild. But shame separates us from ourselves, right? Because shame is to say, I'm not okay. And so we have to distance from ourselves. But shame also distances us from others, from intimacy and relationship, because we have to feel good about who we are and what we are to want to bring ourselves in contact with others. And silence maintains shame. And so silence is how you're shamed and oppressed. But when you, like Lizzo, beautiful example, refuse to be shamed, refuse to sit in silence, and instead you flaunt, instead you promote, instead you expose, instead you lead with, that's how we heal shame. Because what she's saying is, I'm, you don't like my fat body. That is your shame around fatness. I'm going to give that back to you. I'm not going to live my life carrying your shame around fatness. If you don't like fatness, then don't do it. But I am fat, she says, and I'm not going to hide or silence myself so as to maintain your shame or not have you bump into it. She won't carry it. I love that. Because shame leads to hiding and avoidance, right? And so the opposite is the opposite of hiding and avoiding. It's leading with, it's promoting, it's being seen. It's full embodiment. That is the antidote to shame. Whatever parts of yourself you most don't like or you most despise or you feel worse about are the parts we need to start leading with, connecting with, allowing to be seen, allowing to be heard. That's why I love the fat rights movement saying we can use the word fat. There's nothing wrong with being fat. It's not a pejorative. Be thoughtful about who you use that word with because there's still a lot of cultural baggage tied to it. But for fat people to identify as fat is very empowering because they're acknowledging I am in a larger body. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't need to be feeling bad about that. You know, a larger body is not a failed thin body. Everyone's goal or, or desire is not necessarily thinness, right? And a lot of people that do want that, what they really want is what privileges it provides. Because thinness in and of itself promises nothing else. It doesn't even promise health, right? We know tons of thin people that are very unhealthy, right? So ending shame around body or even sexuality or even gender expression is about our own um, allow, allowing for it and then also celebration and promotion. When we celebrate or promote something, that's how I know that people are all in. People can say they're you know an ally to the gay community. Do you promote gayness? Do you celebrate it? Because if not, you're not an ally. If you believe something's okay and acceptable and you're trying to help push it forward and, and, and really build a movement within it, you promote it. You're all for it. You celebrate it. And that's why the antidote to shame is uncovering. It's presenting. It's allowing. It's relaxing into it. It's promoting. It's exposing. And that's why sometimes we have to use that, we have to, we have to use that lens, right? What am I withholding? What am I denying? What am I hiding, right? And sometimes we have to do what I call uh, the paradoxical use of what our body naturally does. When we have shame, we want to break eye contact. We want to break social contact. We drop our head. We collapse our body. So sometimes it's about when you're feeling shame, keep eye contact or make eye contact. Stay connected. Go out. Connect. Stay in the conversation. Keep your head up. Keep your body open. Push back on the ways that your body is collapsing into that shame and giving over to it, right? So fascinating. When we come back, we're going to talk about ways that um, my own field in a lot of areas really reinforce this shame around self and body by not acknowledging it. Um, remember that which we avoid talking about is, is shame. What, what is it you won't talk about with self, with other people? That's where shame lives. That's where the work is. Anywho, we'll be diving into that. Uh, and then after that, we'll be gliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, as always, drop it in our Loveline IG page. And uh, past episodes of Loveline, as always, over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, click on them, bam, there they are. We, co we cover a lot. Um, yeah, take some time. Binge, post, share, listen. 
but when we come back, we'll be breaking down this, this shame that we carry and the antidote to shame. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back and we're talking about shame. Summer's coming and a lot of us will start to identify, carry or feel shame in our bodies or who we are, right? Even around gender, gender's brought in. Um, how you feel in your body or what your body expresses or what's projected onto your body. It's so fascinating um, how this is just such a pervasive thing. We see it in every, every area. We see it in every space. Um, it's really hard to enter any kind of conversation dialogue or space where body isn't accounted for somehow the size and space within the chairs and seating, you know, even at the gym, I moved through the gym, acknowledging how even the gym is built for smaller bodies. It'd be very hard for fat or larger bodied people to move between some of the equipment to fit on some of the equipment to access some of the areas at the gym. Um, and yet some of those people want to shame larger bodies, but yet the spaces where people can focus on health aren't even available to them. I mean, really sit with what that communicates, right? I mean, that, that doesn't welcome someone into that space at all. Um, and what's so fascinating is how we really look negatively at, at the body, especially the sexual body, even in the field of psychology. I mean, the field of psychology and couples is vastly vastly sex and body phobic in all the couples trainings I've done in couples and marital therapy and all the psychology training I've done. We never talk about the body. We never talk about sexuality in the sexual body. And if we do talk about the body, it's always a non-sexual body. And we really leave these pieces out. And we have to, we're, we're finally bringing in what we call the field of somatics, which is this internal sense of self and body, but we still ignore or are suspicious of sexuality or the body. In couples therapy, they'll talk about communication. They'll even talk about having good sex, but they never talk about what that means. Sexual compatibility, sexual scripts, sexual phobia, right? Um, sex education even ignores some of those things. We talk about mindfulness and ignore some of these things. We, we talk about massage and body touch and ignore those things. We talk about body meditations, but ignore those things. So we're always talking about part of the body, some of the body, not the total body. Remember, anything we don't acknowledge or anything we leave in silence is rooted in and maintains and strengthens shame. And so we have to say, well, what about the sexual body? What about the genitals? What about the rest of my body, right? It's fascinating. It's so desexualized. Um, and, it, and, it, and it really very, 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 very much rolls on. Because remember, truly being body positive, truly being in our body, truly trying to connect all the different disparate parts of ourselves that are one whole system is about not shaming. It's about not freezing, right? We have to, we have, to have truly embodied conscious um, psychology, but also sexuality, right? A very, very important part, uh, question that I'll ask clients is, how do you feel about your body? And some people have never been asked that. And often they'll talk about their body again as though their sexual body or their uh, genitals don't exist. And then I'll say, how do you feel about your genitals? And that's another question that a lot of people have never talked about is how they feel about their body. How do they feel about their genitals? How do they feel about them as an erotic body or an erotic being? What do you feel insecure about? What do you feel anxious about? What have people made you feel insecure or anxious about? What parts of yourself do you not allow to be seen or touched? That's where the work is because we're carrying shame there. If there's parts of your bodies that you won't allow people to see or touch, that's often a lot of shame. What is that about? Here the qualifiers, often, not for everyone. There's always an outlier. I know y'all are really good at catching the gray areas, the outliers, the caveats, but again, I have to talk in, in wide strokes, right? So most of us have never had those questions asked. Most of us are afraid to step into that. Most of us have never talked to our friends about that right? But yet we move through the world talking about things like self-esteem and self-worth, but we're living completely with our heads cut off from our body or our body cut off from our genitals, right? So what part of your body is you ignore and not allowed to be touched, seen, or heard, or discussed? Why? Know that you are definitely constricting and holding tension in those areas, especially when being sexual. That makes it worse. Our, whatever we're fear, fearful of or anxious around, we're going to tighten, clench, right? But yet our whole bodies are inverted innervated, excuse me, have the ability to drive pleasure and have nerves, but yet we armor them, we freeze them. We can even see it. 
people that are really well trained in somatics or different movement therapies, they can watch people walk and they can see where they're holding tension, stress, where they're collapsing, what parts of their bodies are frozen or armored. It's quite fascinating because we're never really in our body. We don't know how to listen to our bodies, even with eating. We talk about intuitive eating. People are like, oh, I would just eat everything. No, you wouldn't. Your body doesn't work like that. It gives you natural hungry, hunger and satiation signals, but we're so distracted from it or detached because we say finish your plate or it's not time to eat or da-da-da. We're always, again, moving away from listening to our body's natural signals, which are always trying to tell us who we are, what we need, what's good for us, right? We got to get back to that. I, I need to come up with some exercises to give everyone to really get back into our bodies and listen to ourselves. Um, all right, well, enough of that. We kind of circled those blocks enough. When we come back, though, we're going to be gliding into those DMs. So if you've got a DM for us, you know where to drop them. Um, always open, always anonymous, always confidential. Whatever you're wondering about, drop it on us. We're here to answer your questions. And uh, we are channelq.com. It's a place where you can check out past episodes. Uh, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. Stick around. We'll be back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we are back and uh time to glide into those dms brought to you by astro glide gliding into the dms Tight's dm says uh hey dr chris i hope you're doing well yeah i'm doing okay thank you for asking i'm hanging in there you know um, I had a question about becoming closer with family. All right. Me and my family never really had a close relationship growing up. I always kind of felt like the black sheep and that everything I did was wrong. But my brothers and sisters got a pass. I always think that's interesting, right? I'm older now. My brothers and sisters all have kids and I want to meet my nieces and nephews, but I just fear too much time has passed. Is there such a thing as too late? No, there's never such a thing as too late for anything, for anything. That's rooted in uh, ageism. I generally see that as very ageist, that we somehow think a certain period is our better years. Well, number one, it's not. It's shown that people are at their happiest between, I think it's like 40 and 50. Uh, they've grown up. They've let go, let go of a lot of things. They have a better perspective on life. They're easier on themselves, right? Uh, there's a lot of issues with all ends of the spectrum, but no, our brains have the capacity to continually grow and change for the entire duration of our lives. At any time we should reach, you know, make changes in our lives towards joy and pleasure. I love people later in life, leaving relationships or marriages that aren't working and finding love. I love people later in life, deciding on new career choices and people like you're too old to go back to school. You're 40 or 50. Well, yeah, I'm not dead. And I have decades or years ahead of me and I want them to be spent doing things that have purpose and meaning for me. And if you love school and things like that, it's a beautiful journey. So reconnecting with family, it's never too late. See, this is the beauty of relationality. Relationships are very plastic. They're malleable. They can always change. 
always can change. What once was isn't now. Your family members are different. They're hopefully more grounded, more mature, right? And so are you. And I think that that's really beautiful to realize I'm at a place now where I want to have a connection to them. So just go slow. Don't You can't show up out of nowhere and think that they're going to just you know be comfortable or familiar or open to immediate closeness. So you have to work on it. It's maybe a long-term plan. You know, where you slowly start reaching out more, you slowly start going to holidays with them and you work on it, you build it. And then at some point you realize you're casually staying more close and connected and they're reaching out to you like they're reaching out to them, but they're following your lead, right? Like you've taken time and space and they've allowed you to take time and space, right? So you have to reorient that. You have to earn your way back in. You have to let them know that I'm really here this time, right? Because I don't know what caused that separation. Sometimes we do need to go and, and talk about it and talk it out. Um, other, other times we don't. Sometimes like there's nothing that needs to be said about what happened and we just leave it be. There's not value in unpacking everything. There really isn't. Even in trauma work, we rarely anymore go back into it. We realize we deal with how it shows up now. Um, it can be very re-traumatizing to go back into that. And sometimes it's not resolvable, right? Or sometimes people aren't ready to resolve it. Sometimes you need a, a new strong foundation to circle back to whatever it was that happened back then. So give it time, give it space. Don't rush it. Don't push it. You know what I mean? But um, commit to it. Let yourself, tell yourself every week I'm going to start reaching out, right? I'm going to go to the holidays. I'm going to text people happy birthday on their birthday. I'm going to start having more presence. Let people know I'm really here. They have to start, they have to trust you. And so consistency will do that. Uh, frequency will do that. Reliability will do that. You know, and you can sometimes even tell them, I, I, I miss you guys and I want to be closer, but it's more important to show them because sometimes people will say that like, I miss you. I need to see you more. And then nothing changes. It's just these declarations and declarations aren't closeness, but some people kind of think they are that if I just say that, that then I'm doing that. And on a minor way you are, cause that's more present or vulnerable than maybe you've ever been. And so that's a first step, but then there needs to be that second step where you actually like step into that and show them, you know? I know. It's good stuff. It's worth it though. <laughs> That's what we learn about ourselves. So so do it. It's worth it. I can tell it's important to you. But slow move. I just want that to be the highlighted part. It's gonna take time, you know? And you know, because I don't know where they're at in their life, you know. Um so that's our show, y'all. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be talking about how to be a good ally. It is Pride Month. Every month should be Pride Month. So we're going to try to learn some things that we can extend well into the rest of the year, right? We don't want to just be an ally uh, for one month, cash in on it. So we're going to be talking about that tomorrow. So stick around and join us. And like I said, DMs, if you got any thoughts, questions, anything you want clarified, drop it in those DMs um, and just spend the rest of your day focusing on some joy and pleasure. Bring some joy and pleasure in your day today. Also bring in another form of rest, right? And tons and tons of self-care. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.